0: The forecast is a well-intentioned effort at murmuration through audio for the quarterlies. In this episode, I brought together Tony, Delia, and David to talk about DEI in education. As someone not immersed in the education system, I'm not a teacher, faculty, admin, um, I don't have kids, uh, but someone who truly values its product, whom we all have to interact with every day, you know, people, uh, I learned a lot. I feel like I'm a better person for sharing space with these brilliant people, and I'm internally grateful that they gave their time and energy to all of us. So I really do hope you have the same experience I had. I think you will. Um, yeah. Enjoy. Thank you all. This is a big deal to me. And so I appreciate you all being here. I brought you in on the topic of uh, DEI in education. And specifically, I brought in David Bradburn, who was previously a teacher in the Chicago school system and then currently works with online schooling. Tony Bradburn, who, Tony, you've worked in multiple levels through K through 12. Delia, I brought you in because you're at MCC at uh, McHenry County College. So we'll have that college level kind of experience there too. You all have way more than that, but I'll let you each introduce yourselves and give a little more of your background. Tony, why don't you start us off?
1: sure so i'm tony bradburn i'm currently the director for diversity equity and inclusion in district 214 which is in arlington heights Illinois. and it's a district of about uh, 12 to 13,000 students and about 1800 or so staff members and i been in the high school field for most of my educational career so 20 plus years I'm a father of four, I'm black, I'm Dominican, and um, I'm happy to engage in the conversation.
0: Sweet. Thank you.
2: Delia? Hey, I'm Delia Rodriguez. I am currently the director of adult education at McHenry County College, where we service students coming from 56 different countries from around the world, speaking 32 different languages, Spanish just being one of them. Always been working with our Latino population. My previous experience is I started my career as an elementary teacher in third and fourth grade, a bilingual elementary teacher, and then worked my way through. I was a Dean of Students at the Necron High School. I was the Rockford Public School District 205 um, director of bilingual education out there. So I had 14 schools, 2,400 students currently at MCC right now, we're looking at a growing population of immigrants that are coming in, mostly asylees and and, um, refugees. And so we're servicing students right now, about 650 students and 400 students are of Latino descent and 100 students roughly are Russian or Ukrainian. And that is where we're seeing a huge uptick, especially in McKenna County. So I work with all
0: of those populations. That's amazing. Uh, David?
3: I'm uh, David Bradburn. Um, My background is I was a social worker for a handful of years, and then I taught high school in Chicago public schools for 20 years. And currently, I work as director of production for a homeschool curriculum company, uh, all of our
4: curriculum is video-based, and I run the, the video production
0: end of things. I'm really excited to have the three of you talking. i probably be doing a lot of sitting back and learning myself, so thank you for taking the time and energy to educate all of us. Um, Tony, do you want to do a little, like, uh, definition no. to just bring people up to speed if they don't completely understand DEI and what it means? No in
1: education? Absolutely. It's a good place to start. So I think that, you know, what's interesting is that we often talk about the term as DEI and there are varying definitions of it. And so I like to think of diversity really as just who's in the room. So who's in the space? Um, Trying to affect that is sometimes a challenge, right? Because that has to do with outreach and hiring practices and um, those different methods. But regardless, there are people in the room. Who have diverse identities and those of course can be religious those can be racial that can connect to a sexual orientation or ability um the list goes on and on and equity is what we try to do with the people in the room so equity really is about thinking about power thinking about who has the voice How can we elevate historically marginalized voices so that It is a more robust and healthier organization for all. And it doesn't feel like there's a specific sort of identity that is privileged and others that aren't. And then inclusion, of course, has to do really with that equity piece. It's about helping people to feel included and be included, helping to ensure that that those multiple voices are at the table. If we're doing all those things well, then hopefully we have created a sense of belonging that's real and authentic and where people can really communicate their truths. So in the field, you often hear DEIB, which is diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, as well as as just DEI.
0: I'm trying to think of if we talk about DEI, DEIB, which I didn't even know that. So thank you, David. Maybe you start because I'm guessing you're I could be wrong, but you're working with the younger of the K through 12. But most of the stuff that I've seen that we have
3: to, to engage with is at the high school level. Um, a lot of the stuff that we see at the, at the lower grades has to do with, you know, the we serve as a very broad band of students in terms of politically and religiously, um, you know, from from both ends of the spectrum, and so we're constantly dealing with walking that tightrope, but a lot of that has, at the younger age has to do with science and not with race or disability. I, and I would say that, you know, divergence is something that we've excelled at and other forms of
0: inclusion we have sort of struggled with. Tony, how do you want to talk about DEI? And I would say even for you starting off, and I think that you would have different perspectives working in different ways with DEI in education. So I'm curious on how how it's changed, what could be done, where you're seeing things working.
1: So, you know, I think what I see really is that people are being more intentional about the identities that are in their classroom and trying to give students both, you know, what we call a window and a mirror. So we want every student really at some point to have a mirror-like experience. So while they're interacting with a text or a movie or some other sort of stimulus material, it feels like a reflection of their own home, their own life, their own lived experience. To that end, I feel that a lot of teachers are making deliberate choices to ensure that there's curricular materials that mirror all these different identities. The window side of that whole analogy really is is that for other people in that classroom they get to see through a window into someone else's lived experience our libraries do a great job too both public and school libraries of really just highlighting books and showcasing um, materials on the top of shelves from you know in caps and, and displays that are inviting to students and help them find something that if their classroom teacher is not offering um, then they can find something in the library that also kind of reflects their lived experience. So I'm seeing more intentionality and, you know, I think honestly, you know, the the death of and murder of George Floyd and Ahmad Aubrey and Granite Taylor and that whole unrest that our country went through. It has shaken many of our teachers and helped them to recognize that, that they can do better at this.
0: Do you feel like the materials are there, or do you think they have to do a lot of work to, to find the right things to bring into the classroom or libraries or curriculum?
1: I think that it's a little bit of both. You know, what we're seeing even in this... Uh, AP African American history course that for whatever reason has been controversial in a couple of States, mm-hmm. you know, the students in those courses talk about how there's no teacher trying to indoctrinate students on anything. What we're trying to do is provide multiple perspectives and help students to think critically mm-hmm. about, about their world and themselves. And so, you know, that's a new course. And in that new course, there's a lot of great materials that, help to really foster critical thinking in students and you know when we provide multiple perspectives we do need to augment the textbook like the textbook doesn't necessarily just get delivered to teachers hands with these perspectives but i think the best teachers i know are asking students hey whose voice isn't being shared here what perspective would help us better understand this historical moment you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and then they're having conversations about that, they're then trying to find those materials. So, I think a teacher's job is complex because they do have to augment, you know, textbooks for sure, so that they can fold in those other, you know, perspectives.
0: So, that kind of leads into what my next question was going to be is that like what kind of training is happening? Is there training? Is there a need for training? Like, what is that happening at a educational level for them before they're even in the classroom or because I really don't know that process at all for becoming and being a teacher.
1: Bailey, I could probably provide some insight on this and I would say that one piece of legislation that came out of through Illinois is about culturally responsive teaching and leading standards. So there are standards written in the state of Illinois. They're designed for college-age students. These really are best practices pulled from, you know, some of our, our best thinkers in the, in the country related to what it is that we as educators need to do to make sure that we're serving all of our students. These standards are, have just been rolled out, and so a lot of institutions are figuring out how it is that they can integrate these into, you know, their higher-level learning. And so... It's happening, and it's progress, and it's slow.
0: Delia, did you want to add anything to training and education, what's happening at a college level? Currently
2: at MCC, I can tell you that I think we're just hitting the surface level with all of this stuff, so when I say that, I mean... You know, we're thinking about changing bathrooms, right? So identity bathrooms or non-gender bathrooms. Uh, we looked at students' chosen name and allowing them to have their chosen name on their profile as opposed to their birth given name. Prior to 2020, we're a lot more open to translating materials and making sure that we have things that are inclusive of all people. We actually had our coordinator of at MCC, we call it DBI, so we put the B before the I. I don't know if they wanted to do a DEBI acronym, but um, so our coordinator was able to get a room uh, meditation and refer religion uh, for prayer. So we have a prayer room now, which is nice, and a lot of people take advantage of that. Uh, We finally, on our website, we finally were able to institute Google Translate, which for a lot of people, it's no big deal, but for us, it was huge. The fight there is, it's a college, and all the classes are in English, so people who are going to attend there should know what it says in English, and not being inclusive of those parents that are helping their students that may not be English speakers, and so or family members, or someone else, right? Or mm-hmm. maybe it's instructional, and so I need to have it in my language so that I understand exactly what I'm getting myself into, even you know, if English is my second language. I think we're intentionally, especially in my department, I intentionally hire bilingual staff. My office mirrors our student population that we're serving in the adult ed office. I think that the college is doing some pretty good stuff in our art, category and our displays around the college they're intentionally sh- showcasing diverse artists books in the library as well so i think that's all surface though right i don't i don't know that we have gotten to we've had some conversations with faculty Uh, We've had conversations with staff members. We haven't really done a deep dive into standards or changing curriculum or any of that. And so I think that's the next phase of this all. But we have a couple of good things that we have, programs that we've initiated.
0: Do you feel like that next phase is gonna be supported and happening? Or do you feel like there might be a, okay, we scratch at the surface, so we did our work here, carry on kind of attitude?
2: I'm hoping that we're going to do a deeper dive. I'm hope I'm hopeful. Uh, we just did hire an AVP of diversity, equity, and belonging, and inclusion, and so with that position, they are part of cabinet. And so Dr. Maxwell is now with us, and she's amazing. And so I'm hoping that her power of influence will start to transcend into the classroom some more, into our staff council. But it's just it's. It feels like it's a timely thing, like it's going to take a while. So yeah, change is not always easy for everyone, I'll
0: say that. The direction I was thinking of going next would be legislation and talking about what support needs to be there at a political level in the government for these things to move forward, or is it something that can happen or is happening within each school? So I think I'm just trying to pull in the legislation side of it into the conversation, basically.
1: I think Illinois is a great place for education. In general, like we we can teach critical race theory if we want to, from the state level. We can have any book in the library if we want to, from the state level. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of states, you know, where that's not okay. I mean, just recently, I think it was Arkansas that made a decision from the state office that that AP African American History course was not going to count for high school credit. That's pretty bold, you know, mm-hmm. whereas Illinois is excited about this course. Once it taught, supports it, um, provides training for teachers who are you know, new to implementing it. And so it's not perfect. I think that we still need um, progress and growth. But some of these initiatives that Daley was just talking about are things that we're working to implement, too. And some of those are more challenging when you're a minor. Mm -hmm. So when she's talking about wanting to be able to change potentially your gender or, um, you know, have a preferred name, there's more kind of red tape involved because we're dealing with minors as opposed to, you know, at the the community College, we're dealing with adults. And so, but still, we have the flexibility to to honor students.
0: If you're bringing in parents and guardians and people who are, fighting things like the materials you can use, is there anything that can be put in place to protect that? Is that a school-to-school thing, or is that a state thing, or is that a...
1: Well, I mean, at the high school level, yes, it's still an issue. And what happens, though, is that there are procedures then that that the districts can impose on that, that book challenge process. So if one person talks about a book at a board meeting and once it pulled, it's not going to get pulled. So it has to go through a process, at least in District 214, where, you know, one of the requirements is that people have actually read the the book in its entirety. And there might, of course, be, quote unquote, objectionable passages in any book, you know, but is that. The focus of the book is that the theme of the book have you read the entire piece to understand the the arc of the of the story and and we also though have a have a pathway. So let's have a robust conversation about it with informed people so that we can make a wise decision to, for the safety, you know, of our students, and so. But to your
2: point, Tony, I think the the main thing to get at, just at the political level, is school boards, right? It is so important that we make sure that we have diverse school boards that are representative of our students. So that they're the they're the you know ones that make the decision whether it's elementary K twelve or even at their college level right we have a school board as well and I'm seeing different changes not at MCC but at other high schools and elementary schools or in within McHenry County because we just had a, an election and the school board changed you 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 see that play out
1: yeah, so it's a great so point. important. Absolutely. we got to get out and vote because she's absolutely right. You know, the people who are at that table really do have a lot of an ability to to shape, you know, the decisions that local school is going to make.
0: Well, and in this county specifically, I would add, if you can be somebody to run for that position, because I can't tell you how many times I've looked at our ballot and thought, I don't even have a choice, a, a diverse choice of candidates to go with. So I feel like if you're somebody who can run for a school board that can provide that diversity, that absolutely it's getting better for sure in the short amount of time I've lived in McHenry County. So I guess that's hopeful.
1: I can't think of one local school board around here or one municipal board that is representative of the demographics of any of, any of these areas, honestly.
0: Yeah. Oh. So David, when you're dealing with this on a online homeschooling kind of level, are you dealing with your own version of a school board? Like I know you have the company board. Yeah. So, so we're a for-profit company, and that you know
3: creates a different dynamic. One, it it limits what we can teach because we have to. We're we reliant upon what is in public domain, even though we're accredited as a high school and working on our K through eight accreditation. We're still a for-profit company, and a lot of people use our curriculum as, as supplemental. isn't that why people homeschool to begin with so that they can control more of their education, good, bad, or indifferent? I think there are parents out there that are doing amazing things and giving their kids a very robust education. I think there's other ones that are very, very much dialing in a very.
0: So normally, I take a little breather here for a commercial break, but I actually want to point out at this moment in the recording, we went off the record to talk about how these topics are difficult to discuss without jeopardizing careers. Our discussion became more of a conversation amongst friends. It was more vulnerable. I recognize there's value in you all hearing it. I far more obviously value the safety of this group. I do want to point out though. The importance of having DEI in our personal lives. When we all felt safe to open up, I learned a better way to support my guests, a better way to support my friends. I likely wouldn't have taken or been given that opportunity with strangers, or at least not in such a gentle way. There's some things that can only be learned through the experience of interaction, the experience of real people through the experience of looking stupid to real people. This isn't the first time my guests have dealt with ignorance by any means. I recognize the white privilege I have of not being exhausted day in and day out by our ignorance. And there is a time and a place for these teaching moments, for sure. I'm grateful for the energy and kindness graced upon me at this point. Um, We do find our footing once again, which I take zero credit for, short of listening and taking their advice. So yeah, let's get back into it. Thanks. So how is white fragility and white supremacy making it harder for each of you in your different roles to do your job? And if anybody's able to speak to it, how is it making it difficult to just have DEIB in education in general?
2: I'll go first on that one. (laughs) Um, For me, it puts up roadblocks, right? And so that when people see black and brown people doing well and doing good things, it almost sets off alarms. And then they got to find a way to interfere with the good things that are happening. In an educational setting, it can destroy a lot, right? I've seen some of this infiltrate into my own department, and we have a great department. We eat like a family. We embrace each other's cultures, and I think people on the outside that see that are envious of those type of things, and so I think then roadblocks are put up. You know, I've seen it in the college. I've seen it when I worked at the high school level and elementary. People's hidden agendas are always there.
0: And so then you're dealing more with the roadblock than the actual issue you're trying Trying to right. solve. Uh,
1: yeah. I hear that, and I think that it's very similar. And that I think some people think white supremacy is like you know men in hoods on horseback, like burning down people's homes and burning you know crosses, and it's. It can be that, for sure, that's extreme. But I think that what I'm here today to talk about it really is this idea that people see white culture as like the standard and the best, right, the best standard. Sometimes people, you know, just are very kind of adamant about keeping certain traditions you know, whether it be novels or or classes or you name it, right? It's challenging to change some of these things. And sometimes they really are causing a lot of harm. It could be something as simple as, you know, when schools have blackouts, for example, that's to kind of, you know, rally some sort of solidarity and Everyone goes to the game, whether it be a football game or a basketball game, wearing black. There are times when students also will paint their faces black. So basically they're showing up in blackface and our black students are traumatized by this. And sometimes, you know, driven to tears about it. And so this happens throughout the country. Maybe we need to have a conversation about not having that theme, even though we've maybe done that for the last couple of decades. And that feels like tradition. Sometimes conversations about topics like that then become controversial for some reason. When, in all reality, we can easily come up with different themes and have it not be offensive to anyone. You know, that's just one example. But I think that um, these traditions that really can be harmful to to many of our students don't change because we because there's pushback on on some of these. When we think about white supremacy and even white fragility, it gets complicated and challenging to kind of navigate those spaces because a lot of these people who are in power and in leadership a lot of times are white and they don't have the same lived experience as i do and there's not then that coinciding sense of of compassion and understanding and so that's where the work gets really complicated because of people's different lived experiences.
0: So how can white allies support, and I don't know if that's the right phrase, but or help create change so that you're not up against this?
2: I think something that I've seen that has helped in some instances is calling out privilege that they have and calling other people out on their privilege so that you know we can we can have the
3: conversations we can continue fight the good fight because i think a lot of
2: stuff gets hung up right there not even realizing the privilege that they
0: have david can you speak to that at all i feel like you're somebody who as best you can from your position at work has spoken to that privilege um i i think
4: the outcome Outcomes portray intent. You know, when we see the patriarchy or white supremacy and white privilege perpetuated, it's it's at best passive intent. And so, speaking into that is necessary because it, it wouldn't exist if it wasn't intended to exist at all of our institutions. Like I said, sometimes it's just those in charge don't acknowledge that it's a problem, and so it's allowed to persist. Versus understanding that it's an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, and I don't know if I'm even remotely eloquently addressing your question but there are other issues that are more insidious that when you call when attention's been called to it it creates a ripple effect of problems and those that are, are raising the alarm are the ones that are looked at as the problem not the issue that's being talked about and then ultimately the leadership has to has to step up or the workers have to unite
0: tony how do you feel like there can be more support or how, what does that support look like to you? Maybe it's a better way to ask that.
1: There are times when I can tell I'm being supported when a white colleague simply says something as, as quick as, I like the idea, I think I think we should do it, you know? Or when a white colleague says something that they also think the whole group needs to hear, like, hey, where did this idea come from? You know, something simple like that that just helps to remind people of kind of the core kind of inspiration of an idea it doesn't necessarily always need to be anything really major it can oftentimes be something said right in the moment it shows that they're leaning in and are supportive and that then makes me feel like I'm not alone in that moment thank you all you're welcome this, this is, is good
0: a, this is amazing yeah this is good thank you
1: Hearing all your voices
0: it's great to hear all your voices everybody have a okay. great Get the next issue of Mowgli Quarterly straight into your inbox by signing up for our emails. I promise I won't email you except for the four issues per year. Not to mention, in order to be entered into the giveaways, you need to be on the mailing list. You gotta love an email sign up that promises that. So go on over to MowgliQuarterly.com. That's M-O-W-G-L-I quarterly.com.